0: Good morning everybody. I understand I missed my first cue already, so got that behind me. You know, uh, Rodney asked me to have a sermon ready in case he didn't get well, but he didn't mention anything about calling anybody to worship. So I was out in the lobby getting some coffee, but you caught me. So um, now I can just relax and 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 do it, not worry about messing up because I already have. You know, uh, Rodney is really good at telling jokes, not me so much. But there is a joke in this sermon. It's going to be about halfway through. If you miss it, I'll try to remember to remind you because it's not all that funny. I want to just tell a story this morning. We're going to be telling a story. Some of you may have heard it. How many people recognize the name Nate Saint? Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. So that's several of you, but it's, it's not everybody for sure. That's the story you're going to be telling. Nate Saint. Bill Mendenhall, there's no way we could have coordinated this as well as we did. Nate Saint is a hero. And we're going to be telling the story of of a hero this morning. Nate was a, a student at Wheaton College just after World War II. He met some guys there, and they started praying together. They prayed hard. They came to the conclusion that God was calling them to serve together as missionaries. And in fact, some way or another, He zeroed them in on a particular tribe of people that lived down in South America in the Amazon. Um, They this tribe had about a 250 square mile territory in the the Amazonian section of Ecuador. It was a um, pretty difficult tribe to engage. They had a, a reputation of killing everybody that tried. Um, their particular method of killing people was to spear them they made these spears that were nine feet long out of tropical hardwood they'd sharpen them up I've seen one of those spears and uh, I tell you once you get a good look at one of those spears you'll never be bothered by a splinter ever again in your whole life that wasn't a joke There were some outsiders coming into their territory exploring for oil. And a lot of the exploration workers were getting speared. So there was a shoot-on-site policy. Any of these parties that went out anywhere near that territory were armed, and if they saw one of these folks, no questions. So it was kind of tough. Both sides were afraid of the other side. The Indians were afraid of the outsiders because they always would shoot. And the outsiders were afraid of the Indians because they always would spear. This particular tribe was called the Warani. Well, 1955, two important things happened in world history. One was, I was born. There's your joke. The other was, these these guys moved to Ecuador. By then, their, their team was up to five. Five guys, five wives, and nine kids. Nate Saint had three of them, three of those kids, <clears throat> only one of the wives. They decided that their goal was to bring the gospel to the Waurani, but how do you go about doing that when the Waurani spear every outsider they see? So they're thinking and praying and trying to come up with some way to do it. They finally decide that what they needed to do was come up with a way to make a survivable first contact and then do that over and over and over until the, um, the Walrani had developed a trust for them and, and had come to believe that they weren't going to hurt them. But how do, you, how do you do that? Well, it turns out that Nate Saint was... Uh, was a pilot, and he wasn't just a wasn't just an average pilot, he was an exceptional bush pilot. They had a little plane, a little piper airplane covered in canvas skin, and Nate perfected a method of lowering a bucket on a rope from this airplane. The way he did it was flying the plane in these circles, tight little circles they would lower. The, the bucket out on a rope. And at first it would be spinning around, but as he tightened the circles tighter and tighter, eventually the bucket would get into the exact middle of the vortex. And once it did, they could let out all the rope they wanted and the bucket would just go straight down. They could stop it any height they wanted from the ground. So they practiced and practiced and practiced until they were confident that they could lower this bucket down safely without hurting anybody on the ground. And they started flying over the Walrani territory. Flying over this territory, looking for settlements. These people were semi-nomadic. So they moved around. They were trying to figure out where they were. They were looking, actually, for two things. One is they wanted to see where the people were. But the other thing is they wanted to find a place where they could land this plane. They wanted to find a place to land a plane. Now, remember, this is tropical rainforest. No airports, no landing strips. But they figured out that there were rivers, and sometimes these rivers would make a sandbar that was long enough and straight enough that they could land this little plane on it. So what they were looking for was a village that was reasonably close to a place where they felt like they had a reasonable chance of landing the plane. Well, they came up with one, and they were going to start trying to make an airplane contact with, these, with this village, with the bucket system. But they had a problem. They didn't know a single word of the language. Not easy to learn a language when people don't have any communication with the outside world, right? Well, um, an amazing thing happened around that time. Something that may never have happened prior to that. There was a young lady, member of the tribe, who had just had about as much as she could take of all this spearing. You see, they weren't just spearing outsiders. They'd spear each other too. If you slighted somebody, well, he was honor bound to, to recover from his shame by spearing you. Well, If he speared you, then your family was honor-bound to spear him. Well, you can see that's a cycle that's pretty hard to stop. Well, she decided, I just can't handle this anymore. And she set off walking. She was going to walk to get out of that territory. She didn't know what would happen to her, but she figured if she stayed there, she's going to end up with the spear in her anyway. So off she went walking. Well, guess what town she walked into, the exact town where these missionaries were living. So from her, they learned a few phrases. They certainly didn't learn the language. They didn't know how to carry on a conversation, but they learned a few phrases. The most important ones were, we just want to meet you. We don't want to hurt you. (laughs) So that's pretty much all, all the language skills they had when they went. We just want to meet you. We don't want to hurt you. So they did it. They went to the village, lowered down the bucket. In it, they had some some, um, some things they thought might be useful to the Waurani. Well, obviously, the Waurani had never seen anything like this happen before. They'd seen planes before, but the planes had people in them with guns. So they were a little shy about coming out in sight when the plane came. Took a, took a few tries, but finally curiosity uh, overcame their fear, and they decided, well, let's just go see what's in that bucket. So a few of the bravest guys got up there and looked in, saw steel machetes. This is a Stone Age tribe now, saw steel machetes, a steel axe. Can you imagine how valuable that would be to somebody living in a tropical forest? Um, so over the course of time, repeated trips... Lower the bucket. Finally, they put some stuff in the bucket to send back up to the airplane. Sent put some wooden combs in there, some uh, some smoked meat, uh, sent up a live parrot one time, all wrapped up. Um, after thirteen reciprocal exchanges with the bucket, the team decided, all right. Um, we fly over the village. They come out waving, smiling. They're happy to see us. Uh, it's time for the f- first attempt at a face-to-face contact on the ground. Big decision. Big, de- big decision. Well, um, these, these rivers, the sandbars, they're not permanent, right? But the sandbar was still there. For this village, is pretty close. They decided, let's go. So off they go, five of them, tiny little airplane, brought some camping gear, landed on the sandbar, set up their camp, started flying back and forth to the village over and over so the villagers would know where they were, right? So they're making trips back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. After a couple of days... It happened They're in camp And here come three Walroni Walking towards them A young man A young lady And an older lady Everybody's kind of awkward Nobody knows Exactly what to say Or do Except the missionaries They know exactly what to say Because they only know two things Right? (laughs) We just want to meet you We don't want to hurt you Over the course of some time, they got closer and closer until finally they were together. Nobody was getting hurt. In fact, the young man was pretty enthralled by that airplane. He was all over it, got up in it. Nate, the pilot, decided, let's take him up. What do y'all think? Yeah, okay. So off they go, Nate and this young man up in the air flying around. Nate takes him back to the village, flying low circles around the village. Everybody's coming out waving their wrists. Whoa, look. There's one of our. I, I don't remember his name. There he is. He's in the, he's in the airplane too. He's yelling at him. Everybody's happy. Come back to the sandbar land. Um, not too long after that, the young man and the young lady left, the older lady. Stuck around for a while, and then she left too. Nate and his team were ecstatic. First face-to-face contact went great. Nate went back up in the airplane just to look around see see what's happening back at the village now. He sees a group of, of six guys crossing a river heading towards them. Well, that's even better. Now we're going to meet more of them. He goes back, lands, uh, they get on the radio, call back home, uh, tell, tell the wives all about everything that's happened and said, and it's going to get better. There's more of them coming. We'll call you back at 4.30 and let you know how it's going. But the 4.30 call never happens. Uh, immediately, the wives suspect that something isn't right. Didn't hear anything all that night on the radio either. Next morning, a search plane goes out, finds that little piper on the sandbar, all the canvas is ripped off of it, and they see a body in the river. It takes a couple of days for a search party to get there. Um, search the area. They find the five missionaries... One of them still has a spear stuck in him. So this is 1956. Five missionaries killed. Five women suddenly widowed. Nine children suddenly fatherless. World news. World was different in the 1950s. This was big news. Life Magazine, big back then, right? Life Magazine front page story, tragedy in the Amazon, headlines like that. Uh, what a waste. What a waste. Uh, these young men were sort of cream of the crop Americans. You know, they were um, educated, smart, talented. Uh, one of the five had been a paratrooper in World War II, um, So why tell tell a gruesome story like that this morning? Especially in a room full of kids. Well, here's why. Scripture tells us to honor such men. You remember Paul writing to the Philippian church? He mentions Epaphroditus. Remember what he said? Honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Honor such men. God doesn't think it's foolish to risk your life for his kingdom. And he never said that kingdom work is safe. Revelations 12 says... And they conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives unto death. They loved not their lives unto death. Jesus, Luke 14, says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He goes on to explain what he means by Renounce all that you have to include your very life if it comes to that. God doesn't think it's foolish. And neither should we. We should honor such men because Scripture tells us to do so. But that's not the only reason. That would be enough of a reason if that were the only one. But in this case, it's not the only one we should honor such men because we can see that God honored them. I want to tell you three ways this morning that God honored the martyrdom of those five men. First way, the Waurani work continued. You can imagine after an event like that, Most of the wives decided our part in this story is done. We're going home with our kids, and they did. But two of them stayed in country. One of them was Elizabeth Elliott, the wife of Jim Elliott, who was actually the team leader. She had a little, tiny, little baby daughter. She stayed. The other one was Nate Saint's wife. She had three kids. Her middle son was named Steve. She stayed as well, along with Nate's sister, who had come to join the team, whose name was Rachel. So Elizabeth Elliott and Rachel Saint, Steve's sister, Nate's sister, started really working to figure out how does this story move forward? Over the course of the next three years, they studied hard with the young lady I mentioned before. They had moved into the village. Her name was Dayuma. They studied with Dayuma to the point where they didn't just know it, they hadn't just memorized phrases, they could actually speak the language. Eventually, three years later, they moved to the village. Imagine. They moved to the same village where the men were living that had speared the five. How did they even find it? Dayuma took them there. Dayuma knew where they would be. She, by that time, was a believer herself. And she took those ladies back to the village. Holy cow. Holy cow. Those five men weren't the only heroes in this story. That was a gutsy thing to do. But over the course of the next few years, many of the Warani in that village became believers, including the men in the party that had speared the missionaries. Those men became believers, baptized believers. A church was formed in that little village That church um, didn't have any scripture in their language, but those two ladies started working on that too, meticulously translating Bible stories into Waurani. Rachel Saint had been trained as a linguist by Wycliffe Bible Translators, and she began to conceive of the day when the Waurani would have scripture of their own in their language problem with that. It wasn't a written language. At that point in time, nothing had ever been written in that language. So she had to decide, what kind of writing system are we going to use? How are we going to translate these sounds into markings on paper? How is it? What's the grammar like? What's the structure like? It's hard to start with a language that's only oral. And get scripture. In fact, the efforts that began back then around 1960 just culminated two years ago in the completion of the Waurani New Testament. What a journey. What what, what What a journey. Well, somehow or another, I don't know exactly how this happened, Rachel convinced. Nate Saint's wife to let little Steve come live with her in the village now Steve had been five years old when his dad was speared he was ten when he moved back to the village one of the spearers was a guy named Minkaye. took an instant like to little Steve taught him how to use a blowgun, all the things you need to know to live in that part of the world loved him Steve called him grandfather comes time for Steve to be baptized and he was later that year 10 year old Steve was baptized in the same river where his father was speared by two of the men who had speared his father that church went on to mature over the years They sent their own missionaries out. In fact, they had their own first martyr. One of the young men that grew up with Steve decided he needed to take the the good news about Jesus to a group that hadn't heard it before, a group in the same tribe, just a different, different clan. He himself was speared. It's a mature church from the very beginning, understood that they had a responsibility to engage the Great Commission, their disciples too. So that's one. One of the ways God honored the work was by raising up people to continue, continue the story after the spearing. These two brave women understood that every tribe really does mean every tribe even this tribe even this tribe that has hurt us so much wow second way the second way that God honored the story was by bringing, bringing the rest of it to light fast forward a few years now little Steve is 40 years old He's he's back in the states. He's living in Florida. He's he's built a business. He's uh, um, he himself has taken an interest in aviation mechanics, particularly jungle uh, aviation mechanics, and he's got some inventions and so forth. He's doing okay, but he's always wondered what happened in the river that day. He never asked any of the people when he was living in the village because. He didn't want to make it sound like he was trying to figure out who he needed to spear to get even, right? But he always wondered. Well, he gets word that the elders in the church back in the village would like him to come and stay with them for a while. So he says, I'll do it. And while I'm there, I'm just going to ask and see if anybody will tell me what happened. So he does. Gets up the guts to ask. And they tell him. They tell him the whole thing. When they set off that day, those six guys from the village, their intention was not to kill the missionaries. They wanted to go meet them. But when the when the two, from the, when the young man and the young lady, when they met them on the trail, there was a problem. That young man wasn't supposed to be out in the jungle alone with that young lady. That wasn't his wife. And to cover his tracks, he made up a lie. And the lie was that the missionaries had attacked him. Now, The six asked, well, where's the older lady that was with you? Wasn't she supposed to be your chaperone? Oh, yeah, but during the attack, things went crazy. She went a different way. We don't know where she is. That was the lie that got the missionaries killed. There was more to the story than that. These warriors said, when we got there, we could see that the missionaries had guns. They started shooting the guns in the air, so we know the guns worked. But they never attacked us. They never shot at us. Well, Steve knew why that was. Steve knew that his father and the other missionaries had made a, had a pact among themselves that they carried firearms because they're, <laughs> they're in the jungle. There's dangerous animals there, but we will never, ever hurt a human with one of our guns. No matter what, but the Indians were confused. Any outsider they'd ever seen before had a gun and was, was quick to use it on them, but these, they said why did they why did they do that? They didn't even run away. They just stood there in the river and let us spear them. Why would anybody do that then they said. When Dayuma came with those other two ladies, when Dayuma came and explained to us the story of the one you call Jesus, sent by God to earth to open up the path to God the Father, he knew he was gonna be killed. And when it came time for him to be killed, He could have stopped it, but he didn't, and he didn't run away, and we remembered that day, those five guys in the river, they acted just like that, and that's why we believed what Diama was telling us. It's amazing. Steve decided this story needed to be told. Other people needed to hear about this. They needed to hear the rest of the story. Minkaya was still alive then. In fact, Minkaya just died in 2020. He's the first generation of Waurani men to ever become old men. Steve... And while Ronnie came back to the United States, started doing speaking engagements. In fact, over the years, they've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people, four continents, numerous books, the most famous being The End of the Spear, which became a movie. You may, some of you may have seen it. Anybody see that movie? It's a great movie. One of the things Minkai would, would sometimes say on a tour is It's really really difficult to hear. He would say, "You know, we were all Rani. We lived angry for a long time, hating and killing for no reason until you brought us God's markings." Now, we know that God does not see it well, that we should hate and kill for no reason. And those of us who walk God's trail live in peace. That's a, that's a picture of Steve and Menkaie. Those of us who walk God's trail live in peace. So I ask you, when did you receive God's markings? And how long did you have them before you brought them to us? When Mankaya died, he was looking forward to living in heaven with the men he had speared that day in the river, brother to brother. It's an inspiring story. It's inspired people all around the world. It inspired me this weekend. So Rodney contacted me Thursday morning, Tell me he was feeling bad, asked if I wouldn't mind having something ready to talk about on, on Sunday morning just in case he didn't get better. So I'm thinking about this story all day Thursday. Thursday afternoon late, I get a call. Sister's asking me to do something really hard to do I knew it was going to be difficult for me and for Lisa but this story's in my head (laughs) I'm thinking how can I tell her that I can't do it because I got to get this sermon ready God loves to do that to me he gets me just where he wants me to be I think he likes it. I think it's fun for him. I imagine him gathering people together up there and saying, watch this. So two ways God honored the death of these five men we've talked about already. He brought the work to completion by bringing heroic followers in behind the martyrs, right? Number two, he's used this story to inspire the church all around the world. There's a third way, too. When Steve was finally hearing the story of what happened that day, there was one part of it that... um, You you just have to hear this. You remember Dayuma, the young lady that left, went to the village, brought Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Elliot back to the village as a believer. You remember her? Her sister was the young lady that had met um, the the five missionaries in the first meeting her little sister, Dawa. Well, it turns out Dawa had followed the six when they went back to spear the missionaries. She had hidden on the other side of the river. Missionaries never knew she was there, probably. But she watched the whole thing. After the last spearing she heard singing she looked and above the trees she saw people in the air and she heard singing a kind of singing she had never heard before the spearers on the other side of the river heard and saw the same thing. Was it angels? I don't know. They didn't know either. They'd never seen anything like that. But they knew this wasn't just another spearing They'd seen plenty of spearings up to then, but without any celestial singing involved. They knew this was something special. They were trying to figure out what that was all about. But one day, when they heard Rachel and Elizabeth singing, it clicked. And that also, I believe, was God honoring the death of the missionaries. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah, so God honored the sacrifice of these five men. They weren't fools They weren't well-intentioned zealots who got in over their heads some way and got in trouble, and they didn't waste their lives. They simply believed God's word, that every tribe really does mean every tribe, and they didn't love their own lives even unto death. Jim Elliott had written in a college notebook a quote that's become famous Somebody found it after his death or going through his things. He wrote this. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Steve, Steve Saint, trying to put all this together, came to the conclusion that The death of his father and those other men wasn't just an unfortunate event that God worked around to bring good out of. His ultimate conclusion was that this was the part his father was to play in bringing this tribe to Christ. Wow. So, questions before us this morning are we a church that honors such men or are we one of the many churches out there that's not quite sure what to do with stories like this more to the point are we a church that produces such men and such women who love not their lives unto death Or are we a church like so many that acts as if God's claim on us ends at the edge of our comfort and safety? Are we a church that hears God's voice and responds, here we are, send us? Or are we a church like so many that hears and responds, we'll just stay here, thank you. Send somebody else. Are we a church that believes every tribe means every single tribe? Or are we a church like so many that's mainly interested in making sure our tribe stays on top? I say we honor men like Nate Sane and Jim Elliott, men like Paul and Silas, Let's imitate their faith. Let's imitate Jesus. Let's live like he lived, even if it means dying like he did. To the young people here today, I've got a special word for you. I don't know you very well, but I do remember reading Acts, when I was about your age, seeing all the action and adventure, people living on the edge, and looking at my church life and thinking, this is so tame, where's the adventure? And I remember wondering, did all the cool stuff happen 2,000 years ago? want to tell you, it's still happening now. God is just the same. He's pursuing the same task he was pursuing way back then. And he's looking for people like you.